Let me begin our sermon tonight with a question. The question is, how do you react when somebody treats you unfairly? Maybe somebody double-crosses you in some way or cheats you in some way. Maybe somebody tells lies about you and maybe your reputation is damaged. Maybe you get chewed out at work for something that you didn't do. So what is your typical response. Do you get depressed? Do you withdraw from other people? Do you decide not to do anything good for anybody ever, ever again? Do you look for a way to get even? You know, those responses are very, very common in the world today around us, especially that last one. But you know, as Christians, we're called, oh my God, to be different from the world. And this is one area where that difference can really show up. So tonight in our, in our lesson, I want to share with you seven things to remember when you're unfairly treated. And I think these seven things can help us to be or become the kind of people whose faith can make a difference in the world around us. So the first thing tonight to remember if you've been treated unfairly is this. Number one, three words. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. You know, children sometimes complain about things not being fair. That's not fair. You parents have all heard that. You teachers have all heard that. And you know even full-grown Christians sometimes get upset when things don't come out just fair or even. But whoever said that life was fair anyway. I don't know of one single Bible passage that says or implies that. Of course, we know that God will, God will ultimately even things out at the judgment. And that's a point that the Bible makes often. In passages like Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every work into judgment, 
including every secret thing, whether good or evil. But in the here and now, right now, today, there are no guarantees. With God allowing people to have free will, as Brother Matthew, Matthew mentioned this morning, things are not going to be fair all the time. And yet, it still bothers us, doesn't it? Here is a couple of Facebook posts from just a couple of days ago that basically say the same thing. Life isn't fair. Some of you might have seen them. One person posted this. Why do people that do wrong always come out on the better side? Another person replied to that comment, and that person said this, I hardly ever get a break in life while others just kick back and it comes to them. You know, the bad guy sometimes wins. The cheater passes the class. The person who steps on everybody in his way may get the mansion and the big bucks and the worldly riches. The politician lies and gets away with it. The guilty criminal gets off scot-free. Now I'm not saying tonight that we shouldn't do whatever we can, whenever we can, to try to make things right. I'm just saying that sometimes making things right is beyond what we can do. And at that point, we need to remember that we live in an imperfect world. And things are not always going to be fair. So let's be realistic. <clears throat> Don't set your expectations too high. Because in this life, in this life, no matter how you live or what you do, life isn't always going to be fair. So that's the first thing to remember. Secondly, <clears throat> when you've been treated unfairly, remember this. Number two. What happens in you is more important than what happens to you. You know, things are going to happen in this life that, that we can't change. And if we keep going over and over and reliving some unhappy event, 
and we go over and over the wrongdoing in our minds, then we make ourselves miserable. Spending time, you could say, in the courtroom of our minds, trying the case over and over, is wasted time. And even though we may know that the verdict against somebody is guilty, there's often no way to bring about justice in this life without becoming guilty ourselves. So our best and sometimes our only recourse is to ask the Lord to use that wrong, whatever it is, to bring about good in us. You know, in the book of Genesis, Joseph realized that. Joseph realized that. For all the wrong that was done to him by his brothers, Joseph could have died a very bitter and a very unhappy man. But he didn't do that. At some point, Joseph decided that he would focus his energy on being the best person that he could for God in whatever circumstance he found himself. And over a lifetime... Because of that policy, God took Joseph from, you could say, a pit to a palace. But how different all of that might have been if Joseph had let himself spend days and weeks and months and years licking his wounds and going over all of his hurts. But Joseph, we could say, chose betterness over bitterness. And so after 23 years, when his brothers stood before him in a position, in a circumstance, where revenge and payback could have been so quick and so easy. His verdict in Genesis 50 verse 20 was this. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Think about this. Suppose you're carrying a glass of water as you walk by me, and I carelessly or deliberately bump into you. The water in that glass is probably going to spill out. And you know, that's exactly the way our lives are. When we get bumped, 
When we get bumped in life, whatever is inside comes out. God wants the things inside the glass cleaned up. And from time to time, he'll let us get bumped. Sometimes hard. Sometimes unfairly. To show what's there. A life without God and without God's spirit will show a glass full of hatred, jealousy, anger, selfishness, and envy. But God wants all of that to change. Because what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. Thirdly, when you've been treated unfairly, remember this. Number three, God is watching to see what you will do. As the Bible plainly says, He's testing us. Here is one passage that may be helpful. 1 Peter 2 19 and 20 says this, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it, if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Somebody might say, but that's not fair. And that's just the point. It never is. So what does God want us to do about it? Those two verses say to us that it finds favor, it finds favor with God when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently. And then a fourth thing tonight to remember if you're unfairly treated is this. Don't become bitter. Don't become bitter. In Ephesians 4.31, Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians, he said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You see, there's no part of the word all in that verse that allows for an exception. All means all. God wants all the bitterness out of us. story is told about a, a doctor who told a man that he had rabies. Some of you may have heard this story. And when the man heard the diagnosis, he, he took out a piece of paper and he started writing on it. 
And the doctor asked him, what are you doing? Are you writing your will? And the man said, no. I'm just writing down every person I'm going to bite. Now that's a humorous little story, but sadly, you know, that's how some people handle injustice. They get so bitter that they want to bite back at everybody else around them. Don't become bitter is number four. And then a fifth thing to remember if you're wrongfully treated, unfairly treated, is this. Number five, don't allow one wrong to become the cause of another. You know, we have a saying. All of you used it and heard it. I used to use it in school quite often when I was teaching. Two wrongs don't make a right. And that's true. But when somebody has bumped us pretty hard, how often do we forget that? The time for righting all the wrongs will happen later. Not now. And we need to remember that. And accept that. The Apostle Paul says in the NIV version of Romans 12, 19, after telling us not to take our own revenge, Paul says, leave room for God's wrath. In other words, let God take care of it. Let God take care of it. Our job here is something else. In the text that Caleb read in Luke chapter 9, in that text Jesus was headed back toward Jerusalem before his crucifixion. His disciples went on ahead of him to make arrangements for the trip. And when they entered a certain Samaritan village along the way, the Samaritans did not welcome him. And that offended James and John, who were sometimes called the sons of thunder. They were offended. And as Cain of Red, we... We find out what happened in verses 54 down through 56. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now what the Samaritans did wasn't right and it wasn't fair, but Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, all right you men, 
You go in there and you even up the score. That's what James and John wanted to do. But instead he reminded them of the bigger, the greater purpose they had in helping these people to be saved. So if we're stinging from some unfair treatment that we've received and we want to set things right, would it not be appropriate for Jesus to say to us, you do not know what manner of spirit you are off. Another thing to remember if you've been treated unfairly is this one. Number six. What you do is more important than how you feel. What you do is more important than how you feel. You know, God has spelled out clearly in His Word what our behavior should be in the kind of situations we're talking about. And here are just two examples. In Luke 6, 27 and 28, we have this verse, this passage. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And then Romans 12 verse 20 says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now it's not hard to, hard to figure out what those verses mean. The hard part, the hard part is our feelings. Why is it hard to pray for someone who has done us wrong? Why is it hard to do something good for someone that we know dislikes us? Why is it hard to say something that, that blesses rather than condemns? Well, the answer is simple. Feelings. Every feeling in us is saying that that isn't right. That's not right. But here's the important point. The faithful Christian will strive to do what is right in the sight of God. Even if his or her feelings aren't in favor of it. Doing the right thing isn't always what makes us feel good at the moment. Imagine, if you will, two train engines with both of them hooked together and both of them pulling in opposite directions. One of those engines is named 
feelings, and the other one is named actions. So the question is, for all of us, which engine pulls your train? Which engine pulls your train? A lot of people today get pulled along by their feelings. That's why they find obedience so hard. Many things that God wants us to do require us to go against our feelings for the moment. For example, Jesus' command in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Now who really enjoys doing that? Who likes that? But the Christian should learn and know that actions lead and feelings follow. Actions lead, feelings follow. Here's an example. John 3.16, that we all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God loved us, so he gave his Son to die for us on the cross. Now, how do you suppose that made God feel? Was he just jumping for joy when his son was hanging there dying on the cross? What do you think would have happened had God acted on his feelings that day rather than his love to offer a way for people on this earth to be saved? You see, the right thing, the right thing isn't always what feels good at the moment. Actions lead, feelings follow. When did the good feelings happen when Jesus died on the cross? Well, they came later. After the sacrifice had been made, And then people were coming to God, being converted to Christ because of what Christ had done for them on the cross. And Hebrews 12 verse 2 says exactly that. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, look at the next part, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, the joy followed the cross. It didn't come before. It didn't come during. It came after. And likewise, the good feelings that come from our doing the right thing usually come after the act, 
not before. If we wait around in the beginning, hoping to get our feelings to match up with our actions, then we may not do the right thing. And then finally tonight, if you feel like you've been unfairly treated, remember this, number seven. You and I are still the bigger debtor. You are still the bigger debtor. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a man who owed a king 10,000 talents. Now, in our money today, 10,000 talents would be about 3.5 billion, that's billion with a B, 3.5 billion dollars. Of course, there was no way this man could pay that kind of debt. And in that day, there was no bankruptcy law. There was just debtor's prison or slavery. So as this man was about to be thrown into prison, in the story, he begged the king to give him one more chance. One more chance, more time to pay. So the king listened to his begging and he had mercy on him. And he didn't just give him more time to pay, he completely forgave that huge debt. And that man walked away completely debt free. And you probably know the rest of the story. As soon as that same man got home, after being forgiven of that huge debt, he went and found another man who owed him 100 denarii. Now, in our money today, that was about $6,000. Well, that man didn't have the money either. So this man who had just been forgiven an unbelievably huge debt had his own debtor thrown into prison. After all, it's only fair. He should learn to pay his debts on time. Fair is fair, right? And then the king found out about the whole thing. And the king was very angry. And he re-summoned that man that he had forgiven of that huge debt just a short time before. And to make a long story short, he called that unforgiving man wicked and he reinstated that 10,000 talents of debt. So the unforgiving man went to prison until he could pay it off. 
which of course was never. So he went to prison for the rest of his life. And then Jesus said, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You see, no matter who might wrong us or how they do it, we are still the bigger debtor. We always will be. God has forgiven us of a huge debt that we could never pay by ourselves. And because of that, is it really that much for God to ask us to overlook the hurts, the bumps that we sometimes have here? If you feel like you need to even the score in this life, then expect God to even the score with you at the judgment. I don't know if this little story <clears throat> is true or not, but it does illustrate, I think, the point of the lesson tonight, and so we're going to close with it. The story is told about a a certain tenant farmer who had worked hard for many, many years to improve the production of the land that he rented. But then something happened that caused the man to become very bitter. When it was time to renew his lease on the land, the landowner came and told him that he was going to sell the farm to his son who was getting married. The tenant farmer made several very generous offers to buy the farm, buy the land for himself. But his begging got nowhere. So as the day drew near for the tenant farmer to vacate the house, leave the farm, get off the property. All of his weeks of angry and bitter brooding finally got the best of him. And so he went out and he gathered seeds from some of the most obnoxious and pesky weeds that he could find. And then he spent many, many hours spreading those seeds on the clean, rich soil of the farm, along with a lot of trash and rocks and debris that he had collected. But the very next morning, the very next morning the owner came by and he told him that his son's plans for the wedding had fallen through. 
And so he would be glad to renew the lease. He couldn't understand why the farmer moaned and groaned and said, Oh Lord, what a fool I've been. If we try to even the score when we're treated unfairly, the result for us will be the same as it was for that farmer. Seven things to remember when you're unfairly treated. The lesson is yours tonight, and the invitation of Christ is yours tonight as well. If you're subject to it in any way, as together we stand and sing.